If you love this podcast and love easy and informative CEUs, then this is the deal for you. SpeechTherapyPD.com has over 175 hours of pod courses on demand with an average of 19 new pod courses released each month. You can get ASHA continuing ed credit for every episode you listen to. And because I think you're terrific, I can offer $20 off a year's subscription when you use my code SUP20 for the insanely low rate of $59. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this evening's podcast. I'm joined by Brett McCardle. Hi, Brett. How's it going? Hey, Leanne. Thanks for having me. It's going well. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for joining me tonight. I'm really excited for our talk on Alexia, an introduction to assessment and treatment. This is going to be great. Yes, I've got a lot to say, so I'm looking forward to it too. Good. I don't doubt it. I'm just really glad you're like super organized. So it's all going to go very precisely. Like, I love it. (laughs) We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) All right. I enjoyed our conversation that we had earlier for the podcast that was on discourse analysis and aphasia bank. And so that's also a course here on speechtherapypd.com. That's really good. And then also like next week, you're going to come back and talk to us about agraphia. So we're just getting like all the good things. A little bit of everything. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Well, without further ado, Brett, like by all means, go ahead, take it away. Yeah. Thank you. So, you know, I'm excited to be talking about Alexia because I think it's an area that can sometimes be overlooked in aphasia management, but acquired reading disorders can be really devastating for the people experiencing them. And there's actually a good bit of research out there on assessment and treatment of Alexia. So I hope that after listening to this podcast, people have some resources that they can go to and feel more comfortable addressing Alexia. Excellent. That sounds great. I'm here for that. So before we dive into our topic, I want you to tell everyone a little bit more about you, who you are, where you are, and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Brett McCardle. I'm an SLP um, based out of Seattle, Washington, and I run a company called Private Practice called Archways Aphasia Rehabilitation Services. And I serve people primarily with aphasia through my private practice, a big emphasis on patient-centered goals, making treatment really meaningful and really functional. And yeah, you know, so much of our world right now has been kind of wrapped up in teletherapy and it's been fun kind of exploring all the different ways to make teletherapy really meaningful and really functional for clients as well. So yeah, that's kind of my, my brief story about who I am and what I do. Excellent. Shall we dive in? Let's do it. Absolutely. Okay, Brett, tell me, let's start at the beginning. What is Alexia? Yeah, from the very beginning. So talking about how we might define Alexia, you know, simply put, Alexia is an acquired impairment of reading due to something like a stroke or a traumatic brain injury. And this is different from dyslexia, which is a developmental reading disorder. So whereas a person with dyslexia will have difficulty developing the appropriate mental representations for what sounds go with what letters and what combination of letters make up written words. A person with alexia is typically gonna have these representations already created and stored in their mind, but access to them is gonna be lost or weakened after their entry. 
And so for me, it's kind of easy to remember the difference between the two just by their first letters. So A is for alexia, which is acquired. And then D is for dyslexia, which is developmental. Now, in terms of all sorts of things that you can see with Alexia, you know, there's a very large variety of reading problems that can happen after a brain injury. And very few people with the diagnosis of Alexia look exactly alike. So when it comes to reading single words, some people might only be able to read the word if they individually spell out every letter first. So if they have the word chair, they have to spell out, okay, C H A. I, R, chair. That's kind of the only way that they can read. That's called like a letter by letter alexia. In other instances, you might have someone who sees the written word horse. And then when they go to read it aloud, they say cow. So they make like a semantic substitution. Um, or sometimes you might have people who see a word like yacht and they actually pronounce it as yacht. So they have problems with these like irregularly spelled words. So again, there's all sorts of errors that you can see with Alexia. And in trying to categorize Alexia profiles, there have been two major camps that have been created. We've got the syndrome approach, and then we've got the psycholinguistic approach. So the syndrome approach is really well known for its classification of aphasia types, like Broca's, Wernicke's, what have you, uh, where patients are categorized into a classification based primarily on lesion location and kind of broad language abilities. So when it comes to alexia, the two major syndromes are alexia with agraphia, which is an acquired writing disorder, and then alexia without agraphia, sometimes known as pure alexia. Now it's really efficient to categorize a patient into these classifications, and it provides for really quick communication between providers um, but a big downside to this approach is that patients placed within these groups can look very different from one another in terms of their reading abilities. So for instance, if you have two people diagnosed with alexia without agraphia, just reading problems, you might have one person who has a real hard time reading single words, while the other person actually does fine with single words, but their breakdown is more at the sentence and paragraph levels of reading. So again, it's very efficient to categorize people into these broad groups, but then within the groups, people are very, very different. And you know, another thing too about kind of the syndrome approach is I think it can be tricky sometimes if you're really heavily relying on lesion site as part of your differential, because sometimes people will have strokes in all sorts of different places and they present with reading problems. And I don't know if the research is quite clear yet on what specific lesion locations align with an alexia profile. So again, that can kind of muddy the waters a little bit when you're doing this syndrome approach. So I'm guessing because you say that there's a syndrome approach, there's another type of approach then too. Yes, absolutely. So that's called the psycholinguistic approach. Mm. Now the psycholinguistic approach really came about because Throughout the years of studying Alexia and seeing the types of errors that people make when they read words, researchers have gotten really good insight into sort of the distinct cognitive components of reading. So the specific steps that need to happen in order to read a word. And because of this, they've then been able to develop what we call a psycholinguistic model of reading. 
that basically conceptualizes the reading process from beginning to end. And it can be really helpful for us clinically to use in classifying alexia types. So if you've ever heard of like a surface alexia or a deep alexia or phonological alexia, mm -hmm. those terms come from the psycholinguistic approach. Mm. So again, it can be a little tricky, right? Because there's all these different terms being thrown around for alexia from these different approaches. And you know, if it's an area that's already kind of unfamiliar to you, that kind of just adds on to the uh, confusion of it all. But what I really like about the psycholinguistic approach is that we kind of have a very nice model that we can follow to help us just kind of more objectively see and more objectively conceptualize what a person's unique reading strengths and weaknesses are. And of course, once we've got a better idea of what that underlying language impairment is, we can then kind of use that information to better inform our treatment decisions and better, you know, guide our treatment approaches and make sure that our therapy is as individualized as possible. I like how you like pointed that out, that it's not just for kicks and giggles that we wanna know like what specific type, like how would I categorize this type of Alexia? It helps us direct us more efficiently to specific types of treatments and potential outcomes. So that, that would save us work in the long run. Big time, because, you know, there is, there's good research out there about treatment for Alexia. And a lot of the research does require, you know, an understanding of these different Alexia subgroups. So that way, if you know what you're looking for, it's much easier to find treatment approaches that are aligned specifically to your patient's problems. And it really just saves you a lot of legwork when trying to research, you know, what to do when you have someone who has a reading error that you're not quite sure what's happening. Hmm. Yeah, again, like, I'm just so glad you pointed that out because I'm totally the type of person who would be like, I don't have the time to figure out like what specific type of Alexia this is. Like, just give me the goods and let me like get to work, you know? But like when you lay it out like that, it's like, no, no, this is an important step that's worth the work. Totally. And you know, it is a little bit, I think when everything, of course, when it's brand new, especially for something as a uh, kind of maybe high level or, you know, so conceptually driven, it can be a little intimidating to kind of see it all at first glance. You're like, what is this? But when you really start digging into it and you really kind of get more familiar with what's going on, it's super exciting and just super like intellectually fun. I mean, it's so fun. Like you are truly a diagnostician, like breaking down where the exact breakdowns are. It is so cool. I just, I'm feeding off your energy right now, Brett. I love that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Good. All right. Did you cover our different types of Alexias? Are you ready for the next step or do you have more? You know what, before we get into the different types of Alexia, I will talk a little bit about this model here. I won't beat you over the head with all the specific details, but I'll just kind of give you like a, a brief summary of what it is. So the model that I think a lot of the research relies on is called a dual route model of reading. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea behind this is that there are two ways that you can read a word aloud. You can either read it just by directly looking at it. It's a sight word to you. You know what it means. You know what it sounds like and just read it that way. Or you can read a word by decoding it kind of letter by letter. So that's what we mean by a dual route model. Again, two ways of reading it. So kind of the basic gist of this model, I think of it as being kind of two shapes, if you would. I would say at the top of the model is a square and the square that component of the model is responsible for the visual processing. So being able to look at all the letters, know what the letters are, kind of see what other letters are around it. 
So just kind of visually perceiving the word. And then below that square where you're doing your visual processing, I think of like a diamond. Again, that has like two sides for the two dual routes. So if you're gonna read a word as a sight word, you're not gonna decode it. You go down the left side of the diamond where again, you know what that word is. You can attach meaning to it using your semantic system. You know how it sounds like before you go to say it. And that's called the lexical reading route. And then the right side of the diamond, if you have a word that you aren't familiar with, maybe it's a word from a different language or it's a non-word, just something you've never seen before, then you have to sound everything out using your decoding skills. And that is called the non-lexical reading route because again, you can't attach any semantics to it. You've never seen the word, so there's no meaning behind it, but you can at least sound it out. So again, with this square for the visual processing and then the diamond, for kind of the language components of reading a word, we can then really start talking about our different Alexia subtypes. So when it comes to the Alexia subtypes for the psycholinguistic classifications, we have what are called peripheral Alexias. And those are Alexias where there's a problem in that visual processing box at the top of the model. So here again, you're gonna have people who have a hard time just visually perceiving the word and visually processing those letters. So again, you might have someone who has like a letter by letter reading approach, where again, they can't really process those letters. So they have to spell out each letter in a word before they can say it. Or you also might have people with something like a neglect alexia, where they're consistently misidentifying either the very beginning or the very end of a word. So again, just a couple of different Alexia subtypes that you might see if there is damage to the kind of this peripheral process of the dual route model. Now, when you go further down in the model where the diamond is, again, all the language aspects of reading, that's where you start getting your surface, your deep, and your phonological. So if someone has damage to the left side of the model, um, that you have a hard time knowing the semantics behind a word, or they're not quite sure if the word they see is a, a word that's familiar to them or not. But the right side of their model is really good. They have great decoding skills. And that's called a surface alexia. And typically these kinds of patients have a hard time with like a regularly spelled words. Again, they can use the right side of that dual route model to really help them decode regularly spelled words, no problem. But when it comes to those irregular words that do not follow typical letter sounds, correspondence in English, that's where their breakdown is. Now, the opposite of that is a phonological alexia, where, again, if you think about that diamond, if someone has really poor ability to decode or has really poor letter to sound correspondence, they don't know what sounds go with what letters, but their left side of the diamond is really good we would call that a phonological alexia. So they're able to read words okay for the most part, but if you were to give them like something like a non-word, they could not read that whatsoever. And then the last one here, if you have damage on both sides of the model, both their decoding is not that great, and then there's something wrong in their lexical route, both the left and the right side of that diamond, then that's called a deep alexia. So kind of just reading problems all throughout that diamond there. 
So that's kind of just a general overview of the different types of Alexia subtypes that you might see, especially for the psycholinguistic classification system. So I got distracted. I was looking at the <laughs> handouts that you sent in. And so I was following along with the visuals, which are very helpful. Good, <laughs> yeah. A visual person. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. So those definitely go a lot more in depth <laughs> than what I just talked about, but they are just kind of a, a good, oh, just kind of a good example of what sort of errors you might see with all these different Alexia profiles. And again, where exactly in the dual route model is the problem for you to be able to diagnose this Alexia subtype? So are you ready to talk about tools or do you have more to unpack with the dual route model? I don't think so. I mean, let's hop right into the tools. That sounds good to me. Do you love a good tool? All right, let's do it. So, so you know, I'm going to talk right now just about assessment tools that you can use at the single word level. If we have more time, I'll talk about other tools you can use for like the sentence and paragraph levels. But for now, we'll just do single words. And I would say that for me, definitely my go-to tool for Alexia assessment at that single word level is a free assessment developed by Dr. Beeson over at the University of Arizona. Um, it's called the Arizona Battery for Reading and Spelling. And the way this test works, it's very easy. There's just a big list of different words. And all of these words are controlled for a bunch of linguistic features that can help us determine where exactly in our dual route model, there's a breakdown. So for instance, they have, you know, high frequency words, words that occur a lot, and low frequency words, words that don't occur a whole lot. And if you have a problem reading low frequency words, more than high frequency words, you probably have an impairment on the left side of that diamond. They also have a whole bunch of non-words that you can use to have your patient read. So again, if someone has a really hard time reading those non-words, probably means there's a problem on the right side of that diamond. And then also the words, you can do good error analysis on them to see if there's any sort of visual stuff going on. So are people not reading the word all the way before they go ahead and guess what it is? Are they consistently misidentifying certain letters in certain places? And again, that can kind of tell you there's a problem in that box, the visual perception of the model. So using a tool like this, um, you can do really good error analysis and help determine what kind of Alexia subtype someone has. And, you know, they've got a whole bunch of words that you can use. I think it's like 20 non-words. And I want to say each list they have is 40 real words, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but a lot of times I don't feel like I need to use the entire list. As long as you get like a good number of trials in where you see a consistent pattern, that's totally fine. Just enough for you to do some nice error analysis on and then from there, be able to determine what parts of the model are pretty good and what parts are weakened. So I would say that's definitely my go-to for single word reading. I feel like in my outpatient practice, I get a, a little bit more higher level, like maybe they're not as severe. What should I look at for those types of patients? Yeah. So it's really fun once you start moving into higher levels, if you would, because there's more to think about at that point. So not only are you looking at just being able to decode single words or read aloud single words, but there's also now a bunch of language things we need to think about as well. So a lot of people might have problem with syntax 
kind of the word order trips them up when reading. So they have a hard time kind of determining who's doing what. Some people might have morphology problems where word endings really kind of trip them up and they're not quite sure if something's happening in the past or the present or how many of something there are. So morphology can also be something to look at as well. You know, when it comes to the sentence level, there are a couple of different assessments I use, but one that I really like, it's called the Kempler Sentence Comprehension Test. And this is another one that's totally free online developed by Dr. Kempler. And the way this test works is that there are two pictures of basically two people or objects just in different locations. And it's really kind of assessing syntax skills. So there'll be one sentence to read. I don't know. The boy was chased by the dog. And your patient has to point to which one, which picture shows that. Is it truly the boy being chased by the dog or is it the dog chasing the boy? And there's lots of different types of sentences that are tested on this assessment. So you can get a better idea of, you know, are some of my reading problems due to syntax or is it something else? In terms of morphology, you know, there's kind of a, a more niche test, if you would, called the Northwestern Assessment of Verb Inflection. Um, it's not free. You have to purchase it from Northwestern University, but it's a great one in terms of if you have patients who are complaining about sort of like tiny words trip them up or again, kind of verb morphology stuff is really kind of impacting them. That's a great one for, for morphology as well. And then, you know, some things that you can informally look at as well, especially once you start reading like paragraph or discourse level things, there are all sorts of cognitive effects that we need to think about in terms of like attention or like working memory. So you can kind of see if there are things like text length that is impacting your ability, your patient's ability to read and retain what they're reading. Okay. Well, excellent. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like sometimes half the job is knowing how to assess these things when we see them so infrequently in our practice. It's like having something like to go to and rely on. So those are really helpful suggestions. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Sorry, I should have said too, you know, when you are thinking about doing those paragraphs or toward discourse level stuff, you know, there are standardized tests out there like the discourse comprehension test or the gray oral reading test. But a lot of times too, for my clients, I'll either have them just read a passage from something that's meaningful to them that they want to work on. Like maybe there is a, you know, a book that they want to be in a book club for. Or there's also a great website. There are two actually called Newzella or ReadWorks. And these are free websites that you can sign up for. And they just publish articles every day. Well, every week, I should say, about current event stuff. So you can find something that, you know, is intrinsically motivating to your clients, whatever it is that they're into, and you can read those articles. And they also come with um, multiple choice questions at the end. So it's kind of a nice and formal way to see how comprehension is as well. Excellent. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, have you covered the assessment portion? Are we ready for the treatment approaches? Yeah, I think we're ready for the treatment stuff. Well, actually, let me back up real quick. Sorry. I should talk about quality of life assessment. Oh, yay. Um, <laughs> okay, These are my jams. You know, I love a good patient reported outcome measure. Totally. Yeah. Something we definitely don't want to snooze on. You know, these quality of life assessments are so great to help us kind of determine activity and participation and daily language tasks. And they're such a nice way to, to kind of serve as a jumping off board for creating patient-centered goals with your, with your patients and clients. 
Mm-hmm. So one assessment that I'm really particular, well, I really, really like is called the comprehensive aphasia test. Um, and part of why I like this test so much is that they have an entire disability questionnaire section where for every language modality, they go through and ask people on a rating scale, you know, how do you feel about reading? How do you feel about reading certain stuff, reading newspapers, articles? Um, So it's a great way to kind of objectively measure how your patient is feeling towards their reading abilities and kind of the impact it has on their day-to-day life. And another checklist that I use sometimes that has certain questions for reading that can be helpful is uh, the communication activities checklist. Um, So they have some reading specific questions that can be really helpful too. Again, just serving as a springboard for developing patient centered goals. Mm -hmm. Excellent. I'm so glad that you caught that and made sure to add that in. Those are important. And I find adding in patient reported outcome measures to be super helpful in my documentation. And because I do it at the beginning, I can do it at a progress report time or at the time of discharge. And then I can show the patient how their scores have changed. And that that has had the most impact on the patient than anything else we've covered or any other styles of assessment progress. No, when they see how their attitudes towards their impairment has changed, that's the biggest thing for the patient. So I love them. I agree. That is huge. And it's also so nice to have these and they're so quick to administer a lot of the times. So like you were saying, you can do them at like a progress monitoring interval and maybe you do them and maybe, you know, the approach you're taking right now isn't having maybe the desired effect. And there's nothing wrong with changing your treatment approach. Just having a way to kind of touch base with your clients through again, these scales, how things are going, maybe we should change things up, try something else. Like, what do you think? It's a great, great tool to use. It is. It's so true because they will be more likely to be really truthful to that piece of paper than like to your face. Like if you're verbal, <laughs> 100%. Yeah. And being like, how's everything going? Are we targeting what you want? Like sometimes they just want to smooth things over and they'll be like, yeah, everything's great. No, it's good. Good. Keep, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. But they'll tell that piece of paper the truth. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And again, there is nothing ever wrong with changing your treatment plan. Do you not feel like it's a failure or if something is just going wrong, just try approaching it from another perspective. Totally fine. Mm-hmm. Love it. Okay, good. All right. All right, let's jump into some treatment approaches. for Let's do some treatment approaches. So again, there's lots of research out there that is really kind of uh, fine-grained towards that dual route model. So I'll talk about just a couple approaches for, um, you know, general Alexia subtypes. But again, there's, there's lots out there in terms of the specific components of that dual route model that I didn't specifically get into. But let's talk about, again, the visual processing part of the model. So the box at the very top, you know, if you have people who are misreading words because they have something going on with their visual field, either there's like a hemianopia or they have a neglect, there's a really cool treatment approach called oculomotor training. And the idea here is that you are getting your client to intentionally shift their gaze either to the left or the right of the word, depending on where their visual stuff is happening, in order to fully perceive the word, and in some cases actually retrain the eye movements that you need for reading. You know, a lot of people will either do this on a computer, they'll open up Microsoft PowerPoint and they will have the word on a PowerPoint screen, or they'll just use note cards. And again, 
you write down whatever word it is that you're targeting, instruct them to look all the way to the left or all the way to the right to fully perceive that word. And you might hold that card there initially for maybe a couple seconds. And then as time goes on and your client gets more comfortable with this approach, kind of decreasing the amount of time that they have available to see that word. Now, of course, this only really works well for people who don't have any real language problems. It's purely just a visual perception problem, but still a really helpful one to use if you do have someone who is just having perception problems. There's actually a uh, really cool kind of online software program you can use as well. If you do have someone whose reading problems are due just to hemianopia, it's out of the University College of London, and it's called the Read-Write Software. And the whole idea here is that they have reading, or they have written text that scrolls across the screen. And again, this written text helps people to kind of retrain the eye movements they need for reading. So if you have someone who, again, their problem is just hemianopia, a really nice treatment tool to check out that's also free online. That's my favorite word. Yep, <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> yeah, that means it's accessible. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> And then, you know, just in terms of if you ever have someone with like that letter by letter, Alexia, um, a lot of people in the research, they've tried using sort of a tactile, tactile kinesthetic approach, where instead of having someone orally spell the letters within that word, you can have them like trace it on the palm of their hands. Or maybe you could use like tool like a, a boogie board. I don't know if you've ever heard of those where like you write down and then you can erase it pretty quickly. Um, just as a way to kind of help them get that spelling process down. But there's also a lot of like letter identification training you can do as well. Just again, to help those people who have problems visually processing letters. So doing lots of like letter naming, letter matching, and then trying their best to read pronounceable letter strings. So that's kind of the, just a smattering of treatment approaches you can use if someone has problems again, in the box area of that model of the visual processing. Now, when it comes to the diamond part where those two dual routes are, there's actually, I think, some good information out there in the research literature. So I would say if you have someone who has really poor decoding skills, again, the right side of their diamond is not that hot. There are actually a couple things available to you. So if you're trying to retrain those letter to sound skills. There's a great treatment out there, again, developed by Dr. Beeson at University of Arizona called phonological treatment. And here, the whole idea is that you are utilizing personalized keywords to help retrain letter sound correspondence. So for instance, if you're trying to retrain the fact that the letter B makes the B sound, then you might use, you know, the name of a family member of your client. For instance, they have a family member named Bob. You're using very personal, personalized words like that to help retrain these letter sounds. So you have them, again, use that as their keyword, and then you have them either try to say it or write it, show them pictures of that keyword, underline the target phoneme, and then copy that keyword. And again, underlining target phonemes to really help train that letter correspondence. There is, again, for the right side of that model, the dual routes, for the poor letter sound correspondences, there's a very involved protocol called phonomotor treatment that's 
shown a lot of good um, outcomes in the treatment literature where you're really explicitly training individual letters, syllables, and letter sequences. It's based out of the University of Washington with Diane Kendall, and they have a fantastic treatment protocol that I get is again free for everyone that you can access, has lots of great video examples of how to do the protocol. It's definitely more involved, but maybe something you might look into if someone is really having a hard time with those letter to sound correspondences. Now, talking about more of the left side of that diamond, again, the lexical route, where you're reading for meaning, you're going through your semantic system. Again, if you're having someone who has a hard, hard time with reading irregularly spelled words, they can't use their preserved letter sound correspondence to help them out reading those words, then you can do something like whole word reading treatment, where basically you're targeting irregular spelling patterns in English, like the O-U-G-H and words like bot, dough, and enough. And you have a written word that uses that same letter spelling pattern. And you might have like a corresponding picture mnemonic that goes with it. So for example, you might draw an arrow below the word through, and then your client is asked to read that word aloud. And then you can also do like sentence completion tasks with fill in the blanks as well if you want to. But again, just as a way to really kind of train those irregularly spelled words. But I say the treatment that I am very partial to that I'm seeing more and more of these kind of pop up in the treatment literature are these multi-component treatment approaches. And what's cool about these is that a lot of the treatment literature really just focuses on one component, right? Either just letter sound correspondence or just trying to read a regularly spelled word or just trying to apply semantics to a word. And these treatments actually just target all aspects of the reading process at once to try and just really boost reading as much as possible. So one that I really, really like, it's called multi-step treatment and it's developed by uh, Jeff Johnson, Katrina Ross and Swathi Kiran over at Boston University. And they have a 13-step protocol that includes all sorts of tasks that are involved again in the dual route model. So you'll have a lexical decision task. Is this a real word or not? Oral reading, repeating a word, doing word picture matching, doing all sorts of letter sound conversion tasks. I mean, it's really comprehensive. It's not as systematic an approach as like phonological treatment or phonomotor treatment where you're kind of going letter by letter. But I think it is a great approach to use for any like, patient-specific words that someone really wants to work on. Um, and it can really easily be trained, I feel, especially if you, they have a caregiver for like as part of a home exercise program. You know, the steps are pretty easy overall. So if there's someone at home who's able to do a home exercise program with your clients, it's just a great one, I think, to, to employ with them. That, all of that sounds like my jam. I like those opportunities where you kind of have a little bit more of a, like a holistic approach rather than a very isolated, like small niche area for like so many reasons. I feel like when you're really hammering something in hard, like the patient starts to get like really worn out with it, especially if they don't feel like they're making like good gains or good progress. Like it really affects their motivation. And then they, they're always thinking, how, do, how is this going to help me? in XYZ outside of this therapy room, right? They need to see that, that really functional connection and doing something like this multi-step treatment that you were just talking about that has like all these different areas, they can start to make those connections 
I think it's also helpful that you're kind of doing a bunch of different little tasks because then they're like, they're not getting like burnt out on one thing. Absolutely. You know, I think a lot about like, (laughs) no, I totally, totally. Like, I think a lot about like when I go to the gym, like I hate bicep curls, like, oh, they're the worst. So like, (laughs) I totally could get like, if you're just working on like, you know, is this a real word or not? Like people getting really burnt out on that. But again, just having all sorts of ways to strengthen those reading skills, not just using that one task that for someone might be really frustrating, difficult is just really, really awesome. I like that. Cause then, then I feel like they'll see where they're stronger in some areas and then other areas where they need a little more work. So then they can say like, Oh, look, I'm doing good here. I can focus more effort over here rather than like, we would, we would already pick out like what they need to work on. And if that's all we're working on, then they just feel like nothing's really going well. So. Exactly. A great way for them to take kind of control of their situation and really kind of see for themselves, like what are my strengths and weaknesses? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when you were talking about how like with easy, simple training, it can become a home program. I was like, that's the ticket. That's what we want. (laughs) Absolutely. Lots and lots of practice outside of sessions for sure. So those are kind of, you know, more single word level approaches. And then in terms of kind of going to paragraph level treatment approaches, you know, I'd say the two big ones for for reading are going to be multiple oral rereading, which is called more. And the whole idea here is that you're trying to really improve someone's reading rate. So as the name implies, you're basically just rereading a passage over and over and over and making sure, well, the idea behind it is that you're kind of using a top-down approach where the semantics and the syntax within the passage kind of helps them with their reading skills. And it's a great way to target maybe a particular passage that your client wants to read really well. So for instance, I have a client who, um, you know, had like a written baking recipe for a cake that she really wanted to bake with her daughter. So this was an excellent approach to really train that specific recipe and make sure that she can do it pretty accurately and much faster than she was doing it. So that way in the moments, she's not really struggling with the specific steps, she's very familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Another one too that I think is really nice is called oral reading for language and aphasia or ORLA. And the entire gist behind this approach is that you start off with just the clinician reading a sentence from a passage and pointing to each word as you read it. And then you'll read it again and ask your client to point along with you to each word as it's read. Then for each line or each sentence that's read that way, you will then say a word and ask your client to find it in the sentence. And then you will also point to a word and ask your client to read it as well. And then you'll end that protocol by having both you and the client again, reading that passage all the way through. So another way to kind of target Uh, those reading skills at sort of a paragraph or sentence level. I like that one because I feel like you can scale it up or down. Yeah, because I know, especially like if you're working on reading skills, like patients want to read things and we don't read words in isolation. Like we read sentences and paragraphs of information. So I feel like that one lends itself to being able to take like, like phrases and simple sentences and extended sentences and then simple sentences in paragraph form. You know, it's like uh-huh. you can really just kind of do all kinds of things with that to Absolutely. scale it up and down as your patient needs. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, that's why I like it too. It's just so easy. You know, if there's one word that they really struggle on, 
Well, you can just work on that really quickly, then get back to the sentence or the passage as a whole. Any more, or are you ready to talk about assistive technology? You know what, let's go ahead and we'll dive into assistive technology. Okay. So I would say, you know, we live in such a cool time period where there's all sorts of technology that we can really use to help our clients who really struggle with reading. I think the coolest tool that I've come across is this thing called a C-Pen Reader. And what this is, is that it's a pen that you can basically scan written text with, whether that's a book or a magazine or a newspaper article, what have you. And the pen will scan, you know, what is written on the page. You can press a button and the pen will read it out loud to you. And it is so cool because it even has like a, a dictionary feature too, where it can define certain words if something's unfamiliar to someone. It even comes in different dialects. There's like a Scottish, Irish, Australian accent. It's really, really cool. It is a little bit pricey. It's about 250 US dollars on Amazon. So it is a little bit of a investment, but I think it's definitely a very worthy investment. I have a couple of clients who have CPIN readers and they just think the world of them. I mean, they have nothing but good things to say about them because they're so accessible in the moment when you need to quickly scan something and read it. Do they like, for example, use them if they go to a restaurant and they want to read a menu? Absolutely. Yep. So restaurants are a great place to use them. I have a couple of people who are in college classes who it's really nice to just use it kind of in the moment when they need to in their textbooks to see what's Mm -hmm. going on. Yeah, just very versatile, all sorts of ways you can use them. Listen, I just had a funny thought. I was like, oh my gosh, if I told my parents about this, they would buy it just to go use it in restaurants that are dimly lit, right? And uh, it's totally. too dark in here to read. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like whip out this ridiculously expensive pen and be like, it's going to read the menu for me. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so the C-Pen readers are really, really cool tools. Definitely would encourage looking into those. There's also a lot of you know text-to-speech programs out there that you can use for people who want to get kind of the most bang for their buck on their computers. So basically the way these things work is that you install these apps and there's tons of them out there. There are lots of text-to-speech apps. Um, It'll just read what's on the screen for you. So people can really kind of engage in social media or maybe they have like a New York Times subscription that they really want to get their use out of that's online, that's really nice to use for. What's also really cool is that a lot of smartphones these days if you go into the accessibility features on the phone, they all have like a, uh, I know at least the iPhone has like a speak screen aloud section where you can turn this thing on, you swipe down both fingers and it'll just start reading what's on the iPhone screen, whether that's through either your little Safari tab or if it's your email tab or if it's your text tab. It's really, really cool. So people can really get the most bang for their buck out of their smartphones. Excellent, nice. I like that. So now we're at the point in our discussion where we would love to open it up to our participants to ask any questions. But while we wait for those, I thought I would hit you up with a a few more questions. Yeah, do it. Okay. So what would be some things to keep in mind if you're assessing Alexia beyond the single word level? Yep. So beyond the single word level, you're going to really probably encounter some problems again with syntax. So the word order is gonna really trip some people up. And again, also sort of morphological markers. 
some people have a really hard time with past tense, present tense, and plural stuff that can really, really get to people. And again, there's also going to be some cognitive factors that you're going to look up for as well. So some people might have a hard time with attention, just attending to what's being said throughout the passage. Other people might have some verbal working memory issues that prevent them from being able to kind of keep everything in their head at one time. So of course, decoding is kind of the, the first thing we think about, but there's so many different cognitive linguistic factors, again, like syntax, morphology, attention, and working memory that we want to be sure that we're also, if not assessing formally through some sort of test, just informally looking for as well. Mm. Okay, so my next question is, how can we assess reading for people who like can't read aloud because they have like such severe motor speech issues? So how do we assess for that? Because now it's like, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, Where's the problem? Yeah, that is a great question. It's such a good question. So there are some tests that do not require reading aloud that you can use. You know, off the top of my head, I'm thinking of the comprehensive aphasia test has a reading subtest that is just basically picture word matching that you can use. Hmm. The RCBA reading, is it, the, is it RCBA or RBCA? I think it's RCBA, is a reading assessment for aphasia that also doesn't always rely on reading aloud responses. I'll also say too, if you are looking to kind of think about where in the model that things are breaking down and not really at more of kind of a higher level, like, a written word picture matching task might be. If you want to kind of assess the box part where the visual processing is happening, you can do shape and letter matching tasks to see if people are able to match letters to letters and shapes to shapes, see if there's any visual perception that is inhibiting or getting in the way of their reading. You can also, for the diamond part of the model, for the lexical routes, you can do lexical decision tasks. So present a written real word and a written non-word to your client, ask them to point to which one is the real word. You can also, for the semantic part of that lexical route, you could do like a category word sorting task where you're like, okay, we're going to sort fruits, vegetables, and places and give written note cards with words of fruits, vegetables, and places and ask them to sort into this category, see if there's something semantic going on. And then for like the right side of the model, the non-lexical reading routes, you could always just do like an informal letter sound matching task where let's say that you are going to present a written letter and then you say two different letter sounds and ask your client to indicate which one is the one that goes with the letter. So for example, you might present the written letter B and then give them option one, M, or option two, and ask them to decide which sound goes with that letter. So yeah, there's definitely going to be factors like motor speech or voice, or maybe just really profound or severe verbal expression issues that prevent people from reading aloud. It's much quicker if people can read aloud to help with diagnosing these Alexia subtypes. But again, you can use those tasks that I just talked about that don't rely on reading out loud as well. Excellent, thank you. Yeah. We did have another question from our audience. Cool. <laughs> I love calling you guys that. The audience has chimed in. All right. So Brett, can you remind us of the website with the current weekly event articles and multiple choice questions that you mentioned? Yeah. So there are two. Um, one's called Newzella, 
N-E-W-S-E-L-A.com. And the other one is called ReadWorks, R-E-A-D-W-O-R-K-S.com. They are free to sign up for. There's like a subscription service you can get that will give you special features, but you don't really need that. You can just get the articles for free um, just by signing up for it. Cool. I love Brett. You're like my new favorite person. You have all these wonderful oh, like free resources. <laughs> I'm like, mm, that's like my love language. <laughs> you know what? If it's free, it's for me. We love free stuff. It's the best. That's so funny. I haven't heard that. If it's free, it's for me. <laughs> so like, as you were talking about some of those higher level treatment approaches, uh, like for sentence level and paragraph level, like more and Orla, I've used more some and I, I like it. I haven't gotten into Orla yet. I've heard about it a few times, but it's like, I need to like, go like sit down, like really read it and just like dive in and try it out with some people. I just haven't like crossed that bridge yet. <laughs> right. But I wanted to talk about like a departure because this is not a treatment for Alexia. It's not a treatment for reading, but you use reading as modality. It's actually a treatment for discourse, for more like verbal expression. And it's called ARCS, Attentive Reading and Constraint Summarization. No, yes. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got, I got that one right. And so it's like, it's like such a red herring, right? Because everything about it is reading, 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 but it's a treatment for improving verbal discourse but it is reading at the paragraph level. And it came to mind when you were talking about as you get into those higher levels of reading processing skills at sentence and paragraph level, you're looking more at those other cognitive like things that might be involved in that with like attention and working memory. And that is at play with ARCs as well, because they talk about that in some of the literature about how, like if you have someone who actually is kind of struggling with just like attention, like you can do this, this, this therapy process with them and address it as like an attention task. So I like, I got really excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. I mean, that, that that is a great technique. Thank you for bringing that one up. And, um, didn't you also recently have a podcast on that? Am I? Did. Okay, good. (laughs) I got to interview Dr. Rogowski who created that, I think as part of her PhD program, um, published that work. So it was, yeah, I got to like talk to the creator about it and it was really fun. From the source. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. But yeah, you're right. That is an excellent, excellent approach to use for those really, really high level clients that you're seeing in outpatient. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause that's, that's what I love. Right. Cause I get I mean, I've definitely got people in outpatient who um, have very severe deficits and things like that. But honestly, the majority of my caseload in outpatient will be like mild you yep. know, symptoms or mild deficits. And so like, I'm always on the hunt for those types of treatments and assessments and all kinds of stuff that, that are really for those very subtle, subtle changes. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's where it gets really fun too. Cause like, again, like more in Orla, for instance, and even that ACRS one, so easily adaptable to whatever it is that you want to work on. You know, whatever passage somebody wants to read, whether that is a children's book that they want to read aloud to their grandkids, or if they have like a book club that they're part of that they want to really get into. I even have had clients who are like really into fan fiction and they want to like read some of the stuff they find online. I mean, the possibilities are endless. And it's really exciting because like, that's just like the magic of therapy. Like that's why we're here. Like you are really truly working on something that has an immediate impact on someone's life and is making things better for them. I mean, it's just, it's the best. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. It, it's so fun, like to find out like what is meaningful and impactful to the patient and be able to source that material for our therapy. Cause that's, that's really great. It's funny. Cause like, there are some things that my patients are into and they want to read that I never would have thought that I would also be interested in as well. You know, like one of my patients is uh, reading this really great book on like the first ladies of the United States. And I never would have like really probably read that unless it was outside therapy, but you know, we were reading some passages from the book. You're like, this is like really lit. I mean, this is like really good <laughs> stuff. I mean, it's, it's fun to see like what kind of things your clients are into that like actually you're into as well. Like it's, it's really exciting. Yeah. I remember this one person I was working with, they were interested. Well, I, I asked them like, what would be some topics that I could like source some, some reading material. And they told me about an opera singer that they really admired. And like, so I, I got to learn all about this opera singer as I was like pulling their material. And it was like a modern day, like opera singer, like not somebody from like the 1800s, yeah. like this person who's like alive and working today. And that was just really neat. It opened up like a whole like niche interest. And yeah, I just love it. I've also gotten some really great restaurant recommendations. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. I love it. All right, let me throw another question at you. Okay. At the very, very beginning of today's talk, you talked about like the two, I think just the two broad ones, like Alexia with agraphia and Alexia without agraphia being like, you know, the pure version or whatever. Mm -hmm. So next week we're going to be talking about agraphia because apparently like they go together since like <laughs> you ever have Alexia <laughs> with or without agraphia. Uh-huh. So I would like a little like teaser trailer for next week. Like, what are we going to cover? Yeah, so next week is exciting. Um, Agraphia is so interesting because it's no longer just a language issue, right? So agraphia, we're talking about handwriting. There's going to be potentially some language issues, but also potentially some motor issues. So this is where it's really fun to take a team approach. And if you are noticing that someone has a really hard time with handwriting, refer on over to OT. And you guys can really just make a fantastic tag team duo and support each other in terms of what you're doing. So, you know, I've had OTs I've worked with with Agraphia before where I will use their pencil grips that they're recommending, or maybe they have like a certain approach to letter formation that they want the client to work on. Where at the same time, the OTs then are then able to Maybe there are like specific words that we're really training in our sessions for the language parts that they will be sure to really use as kind of their stimulus when doing the letter formation and just making sure that we're all on kind of the same page when it comes to getting the best outcomes for our patients. So again, agraphia, I think I just like there is a model for reading the dual route model. There's also a model for agraphia that is very involved because there's a lot going on, right? Like there's now this large motor component that we're thinking about with the handwriting. So I I will briefly touch on that model. It won't be <laughs> as in-depth as this one today, but we'll briefly touch about it. And then again, there are lots of different agraphia subtypes that are reported in the literature. Uh, again, I'll have handouts that kind of go through what all the different subtypes are and the different errors that you see with them. And we'll talk about, again, just general treatment approaches that have been designed for agraphia. There's not as much research on agraphia, but there's still stuff out there that you can use. So yeah, next week will be all about writing and spelling. Mm. 
That's good. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it because again, like I find these talks really helpful because they direct me towards what's out there. And then like when I need it, I can like go find it and access it and then utilize it. And that's really, that's very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I also like that, like, as you, as you point us in the direction of like what research has published and shown has been effective, you know, as, as they studied it, I really like also hearing from people how they've modified it or adapted it to meet their patients' needs. Because I used to think it was like, like a dirty little secret I couldn't talk about if I didn't do the protocol, like exactly how it was in the paper that was published, like, well, then I'm negating all the effects that like, potentially could happen because I'm not doing it to the letter, like of the law. Right, right. Mm -hmm. But like, I have totally like, almost changed things Wait, that's not a word. I think I was going to say irrecognizably. Something to that effect. (laughs) It's not a word. (laughs) Yeah. Like I've just dramatically changed it and it still had like really positive benefits. And I changed it because that's what the patient needed. Like that's what they like facilitated them. So yeah, I hope like we can hear some examples like from your practice as well. Like that would be really great. I definitely for a graphia, just because I think, especially when it comes to writing at the sentence levels and beyond, there are already existing protocols that I feel like lend themselves very well. They're not specifically for agraphia. They might target like syntax, like treatment of underlying forms, but they're so easily adapted to fit in this writing component. So there's definitely lots of different ways we can kind of uh, use our clinical judgment and really create like a hybrid approach between different protocols and approaches for lack of a better word again, because again, it's not so much the program, it's the principles behind stuff, right? Like make sure that the principles of your treatments are really guiding your treatments. Yep. That's right. Okay. Well, that's everything for us tonight then. Thank you, Brett. I appreciate this. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. It was a blast. Yeah. I'm looking forward to next week and thanks everyone for joining us and have a great week. See you next week. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Speech Uncensored podcast. Show notes with links to resources mentioned in the episode are posted on speechuncensored.com. I'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a thoughtful review on Apple Podcasts. Shout out to the hardworking team at speechtherapypd.com for their sweet editing skills and for sponsoring ASHA CEU credit for this episode. And finally, I'd like to leave you with my wish for you to nourish your mind so that your practice can flourish. 